WBEZ Chicago and PRX, this is Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. And I'm Jim DeRogatis. Jamila Wood's eclectic mix of soul, hip-hop, and poetry is informed by her experience growing up in the black church. That just taught me a lot about what community really means in the context of political movements, in the context of also just like everyday healing, like seeing people waiting for Sunday to get things off their chest. Poet, singer, and songwriter Jamila Woods performs songs from her debut album, Heaven. Plus, we review the new album from St. Vincent. And folk singer Judy Collins tells us about the song that got her hooked on Sonics. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and Greg, later in the show, we are going to review the latest album from one of your favorites, St. Vincent, a.k.a. Annie Clark. We've been following her career ever since she was a member of Polyphonic Spree, now one of the most eclectic voices in independent rock today. That's going to be later in the show, Jim, but first we've got Jamila Woods as our guest, an artist who grew up on the south side of Chicago and is now a a nationally renowned uh, figure in music. Uh, just signed a national label deal. Um, so her debut album is coming out, but what a background she's had, what had, what she's accomplished in, in the few short decades of her life. Started out singing in a church choir, went to Brown University, is a published poet. She's also a teacher and an activist, uh, played a key role and has continues to play a key role as a teacher and associate artistic director for young Chicago authors, a real incubator uh, for young talent in Chicago. It's a nonprofit that offers resources to teenagers for creative writing. And she's an organizer for Louder Than a Bomb, which is a giant annual teen poetry slam. I think nationally, Greg, she's about to break big, uh, one of the uh, most exciting voices in hip hop, soul, funk, poetry since uh, Erica Badu or Lauren Hill. Uh, I think people right now know her best for collaborations with fellow Chicago hip-hop artists Donnie Trumpet and Chance the Rapper. She was also on Macklemore's White Privilege 2, where most people probably heard her. Your silence is a luxury. Hip-hop is not a luxury. And now, as we said, this solo album, Heaven, released last year, getting wider distribution now through Jag Jaguar. Needless to say, we were really glad to have uh, Jamila Woods and her band in our studio. Now, Jamila had been part of a duo called M&O, which released a couple of albums in 2012 and 2014. So I asked her how she came to release a solo album. Through M&O, my group project, I think I realized that I could do singing because it's something I've, I've always loved and I've always been in a bunch of choirs and acapella groups and things like that and through the band when I became like a, a front woman of that band it, it kind of showed me the power of my voice and how much I love performing and writing. Another night and you've been knocking at my window I wouldn't answer if I took my own advice You gave me something that I wanted to believe in I give up hope when every morning comes but much to my Um, 
my bandmate moved away and I still wanted to keep doing music. So it was kind of just it organically happened um, and it was kind of a challenge to figure out how to, you know, how to begin from scratch in some ways, but it was a good, it was a good thing because it connected me to more producers and more artists working in, in the city that I ended up working on Heaven with. Did you want to make a statement uh, with that first record? Because obviously it was incredibly well received. It led to a, a label deal and uh, a lot of attention was paid. And also an incredible amount of uh, nuance uh, in the words. You're, you're a poet. I got two moons divided by a rat tail comb orbiting my good ideas, eclipsing the forehead daddy gave. They said, bad hair means you look like a slave. But slaves made Afro picks out of scrap metal, hair oil out of animal fat. Did you intend to to build a career in music all along, or was it sort of more of a happenstance kind of thing? Uh, Music has always been just a great love of mine. I grew up in a very musical family, and I just always, singing to me is something that just calms me down, just centers me. So I know I'm going to be doing it forever, you know, no matter if there's an album or a career associated with it or not. But I feel like poetry helped me to find the confidence and kind of the courage and knowing what I wanted to say in order to be a singer, in order to have this kind of solo career. And I think the words are really important to me, like you were saying. I think that's what kind of drives my writing. Um, And a lot of my poems were what I was looking at when I was writing lyrics for Heaven. Um, And it was actually like an award. I won an award for poetry that allowed me to like fund the album too. So it's like, Mm -hmm. I never want to just choose one. I think my poetry feeds my music and vice versa. Jamila, you're here with your band. You're going to play a song. What are you you going to play first? We're going to start with Heaven, the title track. Ah, great place to start. Wake 
That is Heaven, the title track from the new Jamila Woods record, newly reissued Jamila Woods record on Sound Opinions. How about the title, Heaven, H-E-A-V-N, all caps, no E. (laughs) There is this incredibly long and wonderful history in African-American music of imagining a utopian society, right? Whether we're talking about George Clinton Mm -hmm. or Sun Ra Mm -hmm. or Erica Badu or Jamila Woods. So what is Heaven for you? And what, what is that concept? What are you singing about? Yeah, I, to me, um, the concept is how, how heaven can be here, like here meaning in my community in Chicago, how can I personally create for myself, you know, maybe through self-love, through self-acceptance, a, a sense of heaven, but also how can my community, black women, people of color, young people of color, how can we create spaces that feel safe, mm-hmm. that feel where we can live and survive and love? Because um, that's what a lot of it is about, too. Um, starting with the, the title track, yeah. I remember learning and reading a lot of bell hooks and just learning about the mm-hmm. ways that, yes, slavery and then all of the reverberations after that, how that has affected black people's ability to love each other and love ourselves. And that was kind of the kind of glue i think that you know every song is about love in some way yeah and what i have gathered from interviews you've given uh, jamila the church uh as it is with so much of black chicago is not only uh, a source of musical inspiration for you but of community activism and and sort of the start of a political consciousness right i would say it definitely taught me a lot about what love means and what love looks like Praise him, praise him till I'm gone. I'm gone. Praise him, praise him till I'm gone. When the places go up, the blessings come down. 
know, it, w- it would be my grandma who would bring us to church. I went to church on the south side of Chicago, and I remember when I was studying for the SATs, um, and I wanted to take this class, but my parents were saying, oh, I don't know, it's too expensive, or maybe I didn't even want to ask them because it was so expensive, and this woman from church was like, oh, I'll pay for it, and I'll mm. take you. And she drove me every day, like, from my high school, just because she knew my grandma, and she loved my grandma, and therefore she loved me. And I just remember feeling like that was that just taught me a lot about what community really means and um it still obviously taught me a lot about music but also a lot about like what the black church means in the context of um in the context of political movements in the context of also just like everyday healing like seeing people waiting for sunday to get things off their chest and kind of feel uh held Don't be mad. So, Jimmy, are you going to do another song for us? Yes, we're going to do a song called Lonely.
That is Lonely from Jamila Woods, live on Sound Opinions. You can find video of her performing in our studio at soundopinions.org. After a short break, we'll have more with Jamila Woods on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott, my partner is Jim DeRogatis, and we're joined this week by singer, songwriter, and poet Jamila Woods. Now, we're both big fans of Jamila's debut solo album, Heaven, when it came out last year, and it's being re-released nationally this year. Musically, that record's hugely eclectic, incorporating gospel, hip-hop, rock, R&B, spoken word. So I asked Jamila whether it was important to her for that album to span so many genres. Yeah, I think it definitely was. I... I grew up listening to so I had so many different phases of like my favorite what my favorite music was from gospel music in in the church and then I I listened to a lot of alternative rock music in high school and middle school. I think it's it's so cool to mix those influences and not feel like I have to compartmentalize those parts of myself. So I feel like I'm very rooted in hip hop in the sense that I like sampling a lot and recontextualizing things, but I'll, you know, be mixing something from Jimmy Eat World or Incubus with Thomas Dorsey. Meet me in outer space. We could spend night. Watch the Meet me in outer space. There's an edge to this record too. I mean, you know, black girl soldier. Black girl soldier. Mm -hmm. I mean, some people could hear that as a protest record almost. I mean, I've heard people talk about it in political terms. Mm -hmm. Do you feel it's a protest record? Yeah, I feel like it can definitely be. And I definitely remember writing that song. And before I even really recorded it, I I would just sing it places because it has a, a utility to it that I found. Like, you know, there would be a protest and it would be the song that I would sing because. I think a lot of my art, I, tr- I try to think about the utility of it. Mm. And first, for me, um, and the night that I wrote that song, it was like a hugely cathartic moment for me. 
but then it becomes a tool at the same time that I can use to communicate to other people um, and kind of unite other people or bring a, a sense of being seen to people who might be feeling similar to me. So you would be out at, say, a protest of Laquan McDonald, shot 16 times, or, or something like this, and you're singing Black Girl Soldier. With this, um, I wrote it after uh, the murder of Rakia Boyd by an off-duty police officer. And so after, you know, the person didn't get convicted, that was when a lot of protests were happening. Yeah. And so that was when yeah. the song, I, I started performing it. How would you do Black Girl Soldier if you're out there? Mm. Say she's telepathic, call it black girl magic. Yeah, she scares the government, deja vu it's coming. We go missing by the hundreds, ain't nobody checking for us, ain't nobody checking for us. The camera loves us, Oscar doesn't, ain't nobody checking for us. Wow. All right, so, 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 um... You know, I'm a white guy, okay? But the thing I've channeled uh, is nobody matters less in our society, it seems, than young black women. And you're singing about black girl magic. How do those mm -hmm. two things square for you? Mm, I think that song was kind of, for me, just a way to affirm myself. So it's it's like both speaking to the... The, what kind of what you're saying, like the invisibility or the the kind of ways that violence against black women goes unseen or uncared about, coupled with there's like something else. There's there's also there's something else that that no one can actually touch or take away, and that's what I'm speaking to uh, in Black Girl Soldier, but also other songs where where there's just references that I think a black woman would hear that maybe not everyone would hear. Black girl braids filled with bubbles, bubbles Jumping puddles in double, double How many different oils we know, we know To turn our skin from brown to gold To me, black girl magic is it's that way that we can see each other when society or you know media or our governments are trying to keep us invisible or trying to objectify our our bodies um it's, it's a way of seeing each other and kind of affirming each other yeah that that word invisible was something that popped into my head too when i listened to this record and you're making you talk about being alone but not lonely mm -hmm. um you know this feeling of isolation and I think in some ways you're t talking about all outsiders, and I think everybody who has ever felt like a misfit could read into this album, but specifically mm -hmm. about African-American women feeling uh, like it, it almost seemed like there's that layer in there that you were just speaking to your 
a very specific peer group as well. Um, it was unintentional. Mm, I think, I mean, with that song, I was really thinking about myself, and I, I think, like, the specificity of the whole album, I I think, is a way that, like, art gets more, has more universal ripples that it's able to make the more specific you get. And that's something we talk to our students about a lot, because if I'm talking about, you know, my people, my community, you know, my living room, my kitchen, like, you can then imagine what that is to you. Like it's it's almost like an invitation for you to get really specific about what it is that you feel. And if there's something you don't connect to, you know, ask yourself maybe why, or maybe just you know, kind of just take it in as like a new a new thought. Because um, I I know a lot of people are like, oh, I see. Like sometimes they're like, oh, I'm a white man, but I really liked it. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and I hope that. I mean, that's what's so cool about music is that it doesn't, it's not only about the words, it's also about like the way, like the spirit behind the words and like how it, how it connects mm-hmm. through music. It, it's interesting though, because we're talking about some heavy stuff here, but at the same time, I listen to this record and it is incredibly beautiful and very, uh, it's breezy. Like you play it at Pitchfork and I go, this is a perfect sound for this late summer afternoon. You know, it's like a very, there's a playfulness to it. Um, and you don't get the idea that you're hitting us over the head with something really hard, you know, but there's these layers to it. Was that intentional to sort of have that contrast? Did you want it to lighten up the music so that it would maybe make the medicine go down a little mm. easier? I was always taught growing up writing poetry, like to trust your audience. So I think more so that's where it comes from. Like, I feel like I can speak in ways that might seem more poetic or you know not not as direct because I I trust the listener to connect the dots themselves in a way Um, and I think also I like contrast a lot I like uh, form you know the form and content so with like the very black song where I'm sampling a hand clap game it's the hand clap game where I learned all the bad words I know from It's, (laughs) it's the one where you know it's like you're saying all these curse words and it was like this taboo thing and it seems like a taboo thing to talk about the fact that police kill black people all the time so to me it's like it's not just that it's a nursery rhyme it's like which one was it and like why that one it's like that connection of not being able to say something not feeling like you're able to say something but knowing like this deeper thing that's taboo to say yeah like a coded thing Mm -hmm. yeah is like the magic the magic's like a spell my brothers went to heaven the police going to yell they're going to hello operator emergency hotline if i say that i can't breathe will i become a job line up to see the movie line up to see the act the officers are scheming to
we are seeing not only a connection back to a lot of what was happening in the first civil rights era in the 60s, 50s and 60s in terms of the content of the songs, the soundtrack for the civil rights movement was, was steeped in the, in the church, in the gospel music. And it seems like you guys aren't shy about bringing up those church roots and, and some of that spirituality in your music either. You know, if it wasn't for my grandma, my music would sound a lot different because yeah. it was just, that's, that's the music I grew up hearing. And yeah, like I would leave church and be discussing with my mom, like things I didn't agree with or, you know, there were things about like the institution of Christianity that I didn't agree with, but I always felt a home in, in the church itself, like the community of people and the music. So that's what I take from gospel and from my experiences is that kind of the healing property. Um, and it's not to put anything on anyone. It's, it's more a place to, it's just a place to sit in and, and feel. Taking in my body like it's holy I've been waiting for you for the whole week I've been praying for you, you're my Sunday king You gotta move slowly Taking in my body like it's holy I've been waiting for you for this whole week I've been waiting for you, you're my Sunday Come on in this house Jamila, have you got one more song for us? Yes, the last one we're going to do is a song called Holy. Poems are useless unless they are eyeglasses. Honey tea with lemon, hot water bottles on tummies. I want poems my grandma wants to tell the ladies at church about. I want to hold a poem in my fist in the alley just in case. I want a poem for dude at the bus stop. Oh, you can't talk, ma? Words to make the body inside my body less invisible. Words to teach my sister how to brew remedies in her mouth. Words to detangle the kitchen. I won't write poems unless they are an instruction manual, a bus card, warm shea butter on elbows, water, a finger massage to the scalp, a broomstick sometimes used for cleaning and sometimes to soar.
by Jamila Woods on Sound Opinions. Thank you so much for coming in here. Thank you all for having me. Now we want to hear from you. What's your take on the music of Jamila Woods? Call and leave us a message on our hotline, 888-859-1800. After a break, we're going to review the new album from St. Vincent, and Judy Collins tells us the song that got her hooked on Sonics. That's In a Minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim Dirigatis, and you're listening to a little bit of the new St. Vincent album. It's a track called New York from a record called Mass Seduction, the fifth studio album from St. Vincent, a.k.a. Annie Clark. Annie was originally a member of the Polyphonic Spree. That's kind of how she got her start touring around the country. She was also a member of the touring band for Sufjan Stevens, finally formed her own band in 2006, and the following year came out with her debut album, very well received, called Marry Me. I remember seeing her on tour as an opening act for Arcade Fire right around that time. 2009, I thought she had a real artistic breakthrough with an album called Actor, followed up with Strange Mercy in 2011, a collaboration with David Byrne of Talking Heads in 2012 on a record called Love This Giant, then another leap into the pop sphere with the 2014 self-titled album. It actually won a Grammy Award for Best Alternative Album, making her the first solo female performer in 20 years to win a Grammy in that category. Now we have album number five, Mass Seduction. It was co-produced by Jack Antonoff, who's coming off records with Lord and Taylor Swift. Is this going to be St. Vincent's big pop move? That's the question. Let's play a track from Mass Seduction. Here's Pills from St. Vincent on Sound Opinions. Pills to wake, pills to sleep. Pills, pills, pills every day of the week. Pills to walk, pills to think. Pills, pills, pills for the family. I spent a year suspended air. My mind on the gap, my head on the stairs. From healer to dealers and then back again. From guru to voodoo and voodoo to zen. Pills to wake, pills to sleep. Pills, pills, pills every day of the week. Pills to walk, pills to think. That is St. Vincent with pills from the fifth album of her career, Mass Seduction. You know, Greg, I have a, uh, a deathly allergy to show tunes to the point where I should really carry an EpiPen. I mean, I'm just going to like break out in hives and my throat closes whenever we get too near to show tune or Disney World. I liked Actor because there was enough darkness under the show tune stuff, but I started to have real problems with Strange Mercy because of the shtick. You know, here, I think this album is kind of a mess. You know, hiring Antonoff off of Lord, off of Taylor Swift, it's obviously a pop move. I'm not anti-pop move. I'd be all for that if it was good pop, but the kind of watered-down Euro disco third-generation bad Madonna moves combined with Tori Amos kind of art pop all in this dystopian future which is trying to do Blade Runner but winding up more Vegas And I made a 
mistake of watching Annie's press conference where she played like Sarah Huckabee. And she's saying things about this record like she, she's trying to portray a dominatrix at a mental institution. And the record is all about sex and drugs and sadness. Now, I, I like all of those ideas. I just am not hearing them here. That single New York is one of the worst songs I've ever heard about the city of New York and probably the worst song I've heard this year. And there's uh, wow. four others that drive me crazy on this record. Boy, it was a painful listen. This is a trash it record as far as I am concerned. Oh, wow. You're just so off base on this record. I can't. I don't even know where to begin with that. Well, uh, first I, I'm going to go take that, my allergy medicine That press now. conference I'm, that you're referencing Sarah Huckabee or whoever, where, where are you getting? It was incredibly sarcastic. I mean, yes, it, was, I know that. it was meant to poke holes. It is at performance art, Greg. It is performance art. Well, pretentiousness, you may be able to accuse her of that on some of her earlier records. I think you're completely missing the emotional core of this record. I, I think, if anything, if I had had difficulties with St. Vincent's music in the past, is that she would keep the listener at arm's length sometimes. There was an abstraction to it to the point of you're not really getting beyond the surface of St. Vincent. Here, she lays that all bare. I think this is a very emotional, vulnerable record in many ways. Yes, there are personas coursing through it. I hear a lot of Bowie references. A probably Bowie. why you hate why you hate her. Yeah, that's because true. you also hate David Bowie. No, I, I hate uh, the, She loves Bowie. I, I love that. Bowie. And this is a record that has a lot of those kind of references in it where she is playing personas. But one, great guitar player. When she plays that guitar on this record, sometimes it doesn't sound like a guitar. Some of that stuff on this record is some of the best work she's done ever in that area. You know, I'm thinking about some of the songs that are just absolutely fierce. We played that song, Pills. There's a very much of a, a Carlos Alomar feel. Carlos Alomar was a great guitar with player Bowie, with Bowie yes, in the 70s. Yes. Mass Seduction, the title track, has that feel. There's also the electronic disco stuff that you were talking about Which as well. Bad. But it's to say bad. it's Madonna-esque is making it seem like this is a crass Like not good Madonna, move. not erotica Madonna, but later Madonna or mm. Cher pretending to be Madonna. And you tell me you don't get a little sick in your mouth when you listen to Happy Birthday, Johnny. Happy Birthday, Johnny, wherever you are. Happy birthday, Johnny, wherever you are. I actually think that song is actually pretty strong. I think that's a great song. She, this Johnny character has recurred uh, on several records of hers. And uh, that, that, to me, points to the vulnerability of this record. Maybe that's a make-or-break uh, song for people. Maybe that's a good it, it, litmus it's, test. It's like distaff uh, Billy Joel to me. I, I think that song is... I, it's heartbreaking in a lot of ways. The character she's talking about is somebody obviously very close to her. Um, and, and there's a sort of sense of burnout about this record where she is going through some incredible sadness. There, it has been a difficult period of her no, life. She's at the end of she's a relationship. addressing a depression and suicide at the end of this record and, and saying, you know, fighting her way through it. So I'm hearing more of, you know, who Annie Clark is on this record than I've ever heard before. And frankly, I like the direction she's going in with this record. I think it's the best record she's ever done. So I'm going to give it a buy it. I read. 
That is a little bit of folk singer Judy Collins, her 1967 recording of Joni Mitchell's Both Sides Now. You know, Greg, Judy has been releasing music nonstop since 1961. A lot of people are going to think her versions of Suzanne and Chelsea Morning and Send in the Clowns are the ones. Her latest effort is a collaborative album with Stephen Stills called Everybody Knows. It came out last month. And I must learn to live without you now As I cannot learn to give only parts But we wanted to take Judy Collins back to the very beginning of her musical life. She joins us for another installment of Hooked on Sonics, our series where we ask artists about the song that first got them into music. Hi, I'm Judy Collins, and the song that got me interested in folk music was a recording of a song from an Alan Ladd movie called The Black Knight, which came out in 1954, and I heard the song on a radio show in Denver in 1955, and uh, it was called The Gypsy Rover. In yon hill castle on yonder hill, a brave young man is faring. List to me while I tell to thee his heroic deeds of daring. And the Gypsy Rover really changed my life. I, I got the, the vinyl, which was about 14 inches wide, it seemed to me, and learned the song and taught it to my friends who were dancers, and we started performing it in our school shows and for the uh, Lions Club and the Elks Club and the Kiwanis Clubs in Denver. And that led me to all the rest of the folk music that was at Wells Music Store in Denver. The recordings of Gene Ritchie and Cynthia Gooding and the Clancy Brothers, of course. So that was my introduction. Once I'd heard that record, I knew what I had to do with the rest of my life. He whistled and he sang till the green woods rang, and he won the heart of a After all, I was a teenager. And the Gypsy Rover is basically about a teenager who says she's going to throw it all over and follow this guy into the woods. She left her servants and her state to follow the Gypsy Rover. That was something we all wanted to do. I don't think it matters what century you live in or what city. (laughs) You always have these ideas of what you'll do. You know, if you just get out of your folks' house... (laughs) <laughs> get on the way. So I think we, I think we all relate to it in some way or other, and I don't think I was any different. I think uh, most of us have that phase, and especially when you're 15, a lot of things going on when you're 15 that you don't necessarily get to talk about much. Certainly not with your family. So I think it was everybody's kind of song of kind of the getaway idea, the getaway, find romance, find success, find. Uh, something different than what you already knew.
I had grown up with a lot of different kinds of music. I played the piano, I played Mozart, I studied Rachmaninoff, I sang all the great American uh, songbook. I was probably as a much of a student of music of all kinds as you could get, who wasn't actually either getting paid for it or, or being used in some way in some professional capacity. But I, I studied, I sang, I sang on my father's radio show, I sang on the school shows, I sang in my teacher's choruses. So I did all of those things all the time. In a way, I, without knowing it, without understanding what was happening, I was getting prepared for the life that I have today. And there was music and there was wine for the gypsy and his lady. My friends and I had this group, we called them the, called ourselves the Little Reds because we did a performance of Little Red Riding Hood. And when I heard the Gypsy Rover, I knew that this would work. We didn't have the music, and I had sat on the record when it came from Wells Music, so I had to get them to listen to it on the radio and learn the words, which is how I, <laughs> I guess that's sort of like the folk tradition. And so I think about them, and I think about how immediate this injection of my, my life as a folk singer had happened. I mean, it was literally overnight, and I, I stopped practicing the Rachmaninoff concerto that I was working on, I had to, in a couple of months, I had to call my teacher and tell her that I was not going to learn any more Rachmaninoff. I was going to play the guitar and sing folk songs. She left her father's castle gate. She left her fair young lover. She left her servants and her state to follow the gypsy road. So when I got out of high school, I went to this school down in Jacksonville, McMurray. I had a guitar by that time. I had heard the Gypsy Rover. It had wooed me into the folk, the, what my, one of my brothers calls the great folk scare. Of course, I played and sang whenever I had an opportunity. And I got back to Denver and I got married and I got a job with the University of Colorado in Boulder where we lived, filing papers. <laughs> And it was my ex-husband who said to me, I, I don't understand why you don't get a job doing something you know how to do, like sing. So I went down to Michael's Pub in Boulder, probably a Saturday night, and all the college kids were there drinking three-two beer and smoking up a storm and uh, eating pizza and pasta and so on at this place, which was a joint where you would go and down for a Saturday night maybe in go hear a barbershop quartet or an accordion player. So I turned the club into a folk club, really, sort of overnight. But that was my job. And then, of course, the minute I did it and started making $100 a week in 1959, which was a lot of money in 1959, it's still a lot of money, <laughs> quite frankly. I had no question the minute I started doing it, I knew that's what I was supposed to be doing, and I would do that <laughs> till now, which is 58 years later. And he won the heart of a lady. That is Judy Collins performing her version of the Gypsy Rover, the song that got her hooked on Sonics. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? 
Next week, Jim, we have TV star Julie Klausner of Difficult People talking about her love of music. Greg, we had some help with the Jamila Woods session from Colin Ashmi Bobbitt and Andrew Gill. Thanks also to Isabella Martin. Sound Opinions is produced by Brendan Banizak, Evan Chung, Alex Claiborne, and Ayana Contreras. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. Hey, Jim and Greg, this is Shana from Chicago, and I just want to thank you so much for the really lovely overview of Tom Petty. I really haven't thought about Tom Petty in 20 years or so, you know, ever since I hit the grunge stage in the 90s, but in the 80s, when I was 16, I was a huge, huge Petty fan, and my dad was a huge Bob Dylan fan. And you mentioned that tour that they went on, um, and I actually saw that with my dad. And my dad got us tickets, and I thought the last thing I wanted to do was go see a rock show with my dad. But that ended up being such an amazing performance, um, both from Bob Dylan and from Tom Petty. So just thinking about that brought, brought back a lot of emotion. And I just wanted to thank you guys. I really needed to hear that. This is Scott from Gary, and I'm calling to talk about Tom Petty. There's very few rock and roll deaths that really hit me hard, but Tom Petty's death really hit me because I'm not a particularly patriotic person, but Tom Petty's music is the one thing that made me feel super proud to be an American. His his music, it represented working class people. It, it represented real people, real emotions. And there was such an optimism and a hope in his music that it really was hard to convey it in how simplistic it was, but it was profound at the same time. I Won't Back Down is just the perfect song that represents the struggles of, I think, the, the working man here in America. So I, I just wanted to say rest in peace, Tom Petty. Mourn you till we join you. My name's Christine. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and I grew up with Full Moon Fever as my life soundtrack. Taking road trips, my dad would put the tape in, and we would just play it nonstop. So I know every single song on the album by heart. Free Falling is the soundtrack to so many great moments, like driving away from moving out of my parents' house for the first time driving my first car that I bought, windows rolled down, and I would smoke cigarettes and drink Coke and just play that song. And it's, when I hear it, I'm in my 40s now, I hear that song and it's, it just brings back so much of my youth. And I still cry when I think about him dying. Anyway, thanks for listening. Um, bye. Don't even miss her.
I'm a bad boy for breaking her heart. Hi, Sound Opinions. This is Kurt Cohen from Seattle, Washington, hoping to share a memory of Tom Petty. In the 80s, my name was Louis King, and I was the drummer for Beat Rodeo, who got to open for Tom Petty at Jones Beach, New York, in June of 85. It was an outdoor venue, and, and the rain was peering out from the clouds, so we got tossed off the bill after sound check as the promoters wanted to get Petty on before the downpour. So we never got to open for Tom Petty, but we did watch the show from the side of the stage, and... I distinctly remember them opening with Listen to Our Heart and saying to myself something to the effect of, this band is leagues beyond us and we have got work to do. They were a great band and, and I'm so grateful that I got a, at least that short opportunity to watch them up close. So keep up the great work, fellas. Bye for now. No more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.